Hello, everybody. That's better. You just need to sing a little bit. I do. This is like the fourth read take of our opening. Some days you just like got it. Sometimes you feel like a nut. And sometimes you don't. Yeah. Home and joy has nuts. Dude, was that what it was? Mounds don't. Oh, mounds don't. I'm a Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. I am Dr. Scott Powell. This is The Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. And we have... Our and who are you? Um, I'm, my name is <laughs> Father Peter Mossett. Yes. Yes, it is. And um, Good to see you. Good to see you, too. You guys, I like... You know how, like... Did every, you... I'm sorry. Did you, did you fix this mic? No, I think I have the... I think I have the... the lame they're duck. both pretty stable today. It is. That's how you know it's going to be a good it's podcast. It's going to be a good... <laughs> Or could a you, terrible one. Can you tell Scott? Scott is like trying to help me because I'm like I'm like eminently stressed out, and so it's a big day. It's a big day. So and the sun's not like, shining. It's behind a cloud. Not that you have any windows that would show it anyway. Yeah, I know. Well, except, except for in the afternoon, there's like there's a, like a 15 minute window where the like sun hits, <laughs> and it's beautiful. And I love that sun when that's, it hits. That's a good 15 minutes, I bet. And and my promise to my brother today is that I'm not going to chew anything near the microphone. Were you chewing last week? He he said he said. Man, that was a great podcast, but you can't tell me you weren't chewing. And I did chew a couple of times. You did? I well, we did. had a lot of candy. Father Brady sent you a care package recently with Dude, lots of candy. I haven't gotten to hear how that guy's doing. He's at the seminary formation, which is going to be like a total. Um, when does it begin? Oh, it just because they just had commit not commencement. What do they call the beginning convocation? Whatever they had, they had the, their opening of the year thing. Yeah, so that's exciting. Um, you know what's funny? What? Different different subjects altogether. Don't get mad at me. All right. So just cool your jets. But I was just curious, and I had studied, I did the work, I okay. put in the effort into these readings, but the last couple of weeks, I just have felt at times like we're missing something, Okay. or maybe I'm missing something, and so I was just curious what we said three years ago. I'm not trying to cheat, I'm not trying to get anything, but I was like, are we, like, I feel like we had really good insights that first year, and I don't feel like my insights are as good this year, and so I wonder if I'm forgetting about something important. Anyway, that that's not the story. The point is, I tried to listen to the podcast, it is almost unbearable to listen. We, 15 minutes in, and we hadn't started the podcast no. proper. It was horrible. So the short answer to that is I didn't get any material because I couldn't get to it. Because <laughs> I ran out of time because we were absurd. It's a, it was a terrible podcast that week. Dude, you know what I love is that, My gosh. Is that there are those of you gosh. who have persevered through the very early times until yeah. now. And yeah. where, where we only take... 12 minutes to do. <laughs> oh, come on now. No, no. Uh, well, I, I, that being said, that's a perfect place at two minutes and 57 seconds in to say this is the 23rd Sunday of Ordinary Time. <laughs> Our readings this week are coming from the Book of Wisdom, chapter 9, verses 13 through 18, stopping at B. So it's, I have this funny thing that happens. Wait, 18B? 18. How big is verse 18? That's a big... Does it have C and D? Well, it must if we're stopping at 18B. Yeah, no kidding. Huh. It must have at least a C. I, I found this funny thing that happens. Wait, it, so are, are we derailing the podcast? Already, absolutely. That's that's my job. Um, oh, my gosh. Is that when, whenever I'm saying Mass and I like I come to like Monday, I will have said Sunday Mass the entire time, but I forget which week in ordinary time we are. 
when it comes to Monday uh, every time. And then I'm like, and the only way that I come to really remember and, and confirm that is when it comes to the podcast on Wednesday. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, Wednesday? yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, so it's really good. So then our second, our second, so you reading, know what week it is now. Yeah. Which week is it? 22nd. Good job. Pop hey, quiz. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I do. I get a, a star gold star for the day. I think you do. Well, regardless, I'm glad you know what week it is. Yeah, in Psalm 90, 3 to 4, 5 to 6, 12 to 13, 14, 17, with the response at 1, is our second reading. Did you say 5 to 6? 5 to 6? Did I say 5 You've to 6? You've been watching that uh, 70s rap show Yeah, the, 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 get down. the Get Down. 5 to 6? I really enjoyed The Get Down. Our second reading is coming from the book of Pokemon, chapter 9. Through, <laughs> no, no. Philemon, uh, my favorite book of the Bible. Did oh, you know that? No. I think it, I feel like I say every book is my favorite, but Philemon really might be. I really love the book. I can hang with that. Father Peter, Philemon is so short. How short is it, Scott? <laughs> it's so <laughs> short that there are no chapter divisions. It is just verses. Oh, look so at there's that. no chapter in Philemon because it's not even long enough to be multiple chapters. So we just have Philemon verses 9 through 10 and 12 through 17. Dude, and I'm going to, pr- well. I mean, you got to be brazen to pull out a verse from Philemon as if we get, if we like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? No. Okay. What do you, no, what like do you it's, mean? It's so short. You're pulling out a verse. It's like you missed now like 17% of the entire book by pulling out a verse. But you also got a big percentage of the entire book as well by pulling out one verse. Oh, you mean by, by not, I see the jump that it made. Uh-huh. Poor verse 11. Yeah. There's not many. I'm going to, Read that right now while you talk about Luke. Father Peter, what's coming from Luke? Our second reading is uh, gospel from Philemon. Gospel. And then our gospel is <laughs> from Luke. Oh Dude, can you tell that I'm slightly distracted today? Yes. Okay. Luke mm. chapter 14, 25 to 33. That didn't work that time. Okay. Luke 14, 25 to 33. Does that, was that better? Was yeah, that much better. better. If you guys are looking for where Philemon is, some people call it Philemon. And I guess it's in Greek, it's truer to Philemon, but I've always been taught it as Philemon because I was British schooled. Do you know? Do you I like know what? As Philemon. Do you know what I like about that? Tell me. Is it makes me think of Sprite Limon. <laughs> that's but that's what it's named after. But it's funny enough, in Spanish, that's a lemon. No, that's limes. Limon, isn't it? Mm. I can't, dude. I, that's why I. They took out the best verse. <laughs> no, they did. Verse didn't. eleven is the best one. Okay, well, let's start well, no, at the I, beginning. Come on, come on. No, I know, I know. Okay, well, here's the thing, though. I'm going to propose. Now, I, I don't think this is, like, why they're there. I'm not trying to suggest that this is the mind of the church. But from my point of view, okay, I'm thinking of all of the readings this week revolving and giving commentary on the book of Philemon. Do you want to start at Philemon, then? No, I don't. Okay. I thought about that. But I want to, I, I, for me, in my mind, again, I'm not saying this is what the church is doing, but in my mind, everything is hinging on the book of Philemon because it puts firmly into practice what the rest of the readings are speaking about. It is where, the, and this is sort of what the epistles do, right? They take the messages of Jesus and the gospels, the foreshadowings of the Old Testament, and they show these things in their practical application, right? That's what, I mean, that's what the epistles do. Paul is giving practical applications for the teachings of Jesus and the church. That's what the letters are supposed to do. So Philemon this week, I think, does it um, more clearly and more coherently than often we often see. 
And if you're curious about where to find Philemon in your Bibles, some of you might not know this. Did you know this? Fun oh, fact. Hold on. There's like an anachronomical distribution yeah, of Philemon names. doesn't fit into it. Oh. You're thinking of the Roman Catholic Gentiles eat pork chops? <laughs> Is that the one you're thinking of? <laughs> no, but... Do you not know that one? I like that Roman one. Catholic Gentiles eat pork chops, too. <laughs> to <laughs> Romans, uh, Corinthians, Galatians, Gentiles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then all the T's, so Thessalonians and Timothy's. But then Philemon is so little it gets pushed to the back of even those. Oh. But the way that the Pauline epistles are organized in your scriptures, do you know actually this? This is kind of a fun fact. Do you know why Romans is first and Corinthians is where it is? Do you know the ordering of Paul's letters? It's not nearly as sophisticated as you think it is. No. It is simply by length. Oh. So Romans is first because it's the longest one. Oh. And then Corinthians is the second longest, et cetera, et cetera. So Philemon being by far the shortest one is in the back of oh. all of those. So oh. in case you're looking for it, that's where it is. Oh, that's very cool. It is kind of interesting, isn't it? People yeah. always think there's this big theological reason or chronological reason for why the letters are where they are. There's what, not. What's the context of Philemon? Well, can we get there in a little bit? Come on, I was trying to derail you and get you to well, violate your own principles. I, we've done that before. I know. We've never started in the second reading before. I we've know. We've started the gospel before. I know. That's why it's so exciting. But let's go to wisdom first. Yeah, and, and that's okay because I don't have that much to say. We've talked about wisdom in the last few weeks in the wisdom literature. Yeah. So, you know, we don't have to. Usually I spend the vast majority of our time, I wait, I squander our time in uh, the first reading. <laughs> and I don't have that much this week. Squand. We actually do. That's like that's that's the heaviest of, the, of our work. But I think that's good because I think it's usually the least understood. Oh, okay. And the least familiar to people. I mean, people have some familiarity familiarity with the Gospels. The letters of Paul are usually pretty. It's not too hard to wrap your mind around instructions that Paul's giving. But the first reading, that's the one that I think for most of us as modern readers, we have no context. So there's a pedagogy to why we spend so much time there. Absolutely. Yeah. So that being said, we're going to go there yeah but again we really have been in in the we've been in the wisdom literature for a while haven't we because last week we were well that's that's exactly what um ordinary time is really like at the core of what ordinary time is doing i think and the overall big movements are saying be attentive time is going to end and be practiced up in virtue Mm. and so we get kind of specific instructions for week for week and and like and 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 we, so we get really kind of the 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 opposition of flesh and spirit we get the we get kind of this thing of 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 the whole thrust saying like time is going to come to an end that's what ordinary time is we're counting towards something mm, that's a really good you're i'm just looking at the little i have scribbled notes about wisdom mm-hmm. and you're you're hitting on everything that i was thinking about this morning actually. oh really <laughs> yeah so i mean the, the wisdom it, it's in the deuterocanonical we've talked about all this right so it's not in protestant well wisdom is wisdom of solomon's is deuterocanonical yeah, it is deuterocanonical so it's not in the, the jewish or the protestant canon it's considered uh later right um again which is perfectly fine it was in it was written a little bit later um, which which is still legitimate. Jesus was quoting these things. But um, in, it, so what we're getting, we're in chapter nine. So there's three basic parts. Um, no, there's, there, yeah, there's three parts of the book of wisdom, right? The first part is chapters one through six, and it's juxtaposing, like you said, this idea of um, 
life and death, foolishness and wisdom, right? And there's this juxtaposition. There's the way of life and wisdom. And there's the way of death and foolishness. Choose life. Choose wisdom, right? There's the second part, which is praising wisdom. Wisdom is really good. If you understood what this is all about, you would get this. And then the third part is how wisdom has been revealed in salvation history, right? So kind of going back and showing, okay, this is what this means. Because what part two, which is where we are, is what's going is going to show is that wisdom is not always what it seems. Mm. Wisdom is not oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Wisdom is not self-evident. Self-evident isn't the right word. It's it's paradoxical sometimes. Let's just put it that way. And this is what Jesus is getting at in his gospel. Everything Jesus says is wisdom, but it's not necessarily what you would intuitively think, right? Which is how everything is working. So the other thing that you said, and we've talked about this before, the, the word that's used oftentimes for wisdom in Hebrew is the word chokmah, which is not just head knowledge, but it's a skill. And the skill that it's actually training you in is the skill of virtue, which is what you said. So wisdom, and this is so important to understand for the scriptures or else this will make no sense. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is virtue. Wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is virtue. And that's so important to remember because you can have all the head knowledge in the world and it won't make you wise. Right. Right. Because it is a practice that is, it's a skill that is practiced and is, um, well, needs to be worked at. Well, basically. that's that's why Thomas would say that the mother of all virtues is wisdom. Exactly because right. Because by which exactly you actually right. know how to call upon the different aspects of virtue in your life. Yes. And it's it's actually the supreme ordering of all of the other virtues. That's absolutely right. So it's it's taking knowledge, uh, it's taking knowledge, it's taking that that and saying like, well, okay, how do we actually understand within the context? How do we then act upon that knowledge? Like, it's how how do we like. Um, I don't be able to do those sorts of things. So it's it's like knowledge is something that informs wisdom, but wisdom is is the is is uh, is like prudence. It's the prudencia. It's the uh, it, prudence is still is actually a part of wisdom. Um, knowledge is a part of wisdom. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember no, no, all my virtues from from Thomas. You're now. totally right, and Thomas is obviously right. Well, thank you're you. You're right too. Hey, but what this reading this week it, it takes it all a step further. So everything you said is true. Knowledge does lead to wisdom. Um, it's the mother of all wisdom, prudence. It's the practice of it. But this week's reading takes it a step further, and and tries to demonstrate that you can have as much knowledge as you want, but that won't actually get you wisdom because Absolutely. sometimes wisdom flies in the face of knowledge. Right. Sometimes it opposes it. Absolutely. And so wisdom has to be this training of virtue. What, what does that mean? It means we train ourselves to understand what God's will is. Right. And God's will is by its definition sometimes not understandable to us. Right. So what wisdom is, is training yourself to understand the not understandable. Right. Which is kind of a wild thought. So what it says is this, who can know God's counsel or who can conceive of what the Lord intends for the deliberations of mortals are timid and unsure of our plans for the corruptible body. It burdens our soul and the earth and shelter weighs down the mind that has many concerns and scarce do we guess the things on earth and what is within the grasp we find with difficulty. Uh, but when things are in, when things are in heaven, who can search them out or who ever knew your counsel except you had given, except you had given wisdom and sent your Holy Spirit from on high, and this were the paths on the earth, were those, and thus were the paths of those on earth. I'm getting old. I can't read. I need Dude, my reading glasses, I'm old having, man. I'm having, I'm having this crazy really insight. Hold on. Ch- check this out. So I, I uh, two things that are floating around in my brain. First one is, um, 
it, in my martial arts training, there was there was five there was five levels. Okay, and the first four were based on kind of elemental things. So you know how you have earth, wind, and fire. I love those guys. I, me too. <laughs> you know, can you sing a song for me? No. I know. I, I tried to call one up and I couldn't do it. <laughs> they were from East High School in Denver, by the way. No. Yeah, absolutely. Earth, wind, and fire. Um, but yeah, you, you, you have earth, <laughs> water, fire, and air. Yeah. So, but then the, the four the, power ranges, right? Yeah. And then the fifth one was void, which is so interesting because void, nobody could ever kind of get to void um, because void is the potential for all things or none of them. And, and so it was this, it was a very, very heady, difficult concept to be able to engage both physically and mentally because, but, but it was, it was, you actually couldn't get through the stage until you actually grasped how there, it could be all or none, Hmm. which is interesting because I was watching a documentary the other day about, um, Jaco Pistorius, who is a, who is a Catholic man. But like the like the revolutionary bass jazz player. Oh, for not the, the runner bass. from South Africa who was accused of killing his girlfriend and has no legs. No, this is Jaco Pistorius. The very Pistorius uh, wasn't that guy's name Pistorius? I too? don't know. I don't know the that runner one. guy. He's... I, I didn't read that story. <sighs> whatever, dude. Okay, I know I'm not contemporary. Okay, whatever. Yes, you are. Just accuse me more. You okay. don't know anything besides. But, but they past were 1989. But they were talking about how. Um, with Jocko that it wasn't just that he advanced the bass in the way in which he was vocalizing, but that he actually tapped into something more universal that was transcendent of necessarily skill and wisdom and knowledge of what he was inherited, but kind of grasped out into this kind of wild thing. And so, so a a Buddhist would call it void, you know, whereas we would actually say that, no, there is an engagement with the Holy spirit. That is, it's not just that we're, it's the lack of all things, but that it's, it's actually coming in touch with the, the, the the depths of all things and that the Holy spirit. And that's actually, I I mean, this could be a little bit off from wisdom. I mean, these are just speculations. It's analogy though. That's that's how we begin to get to truth is by analogy. Exactly. Reaching up into something that is, 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 um, not necessarily so easily defined. Hmm. And so we have, that's why where analogies and, and words of like the spirit, we just say like, there is something so much bigger and richer than we could possibly imagine. It's out there and it's past. And then when you tap into it, it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But how do you, but the question, the question is how do you tap into it? In which that's where the analogies are helpful, but for wisdom and what it's saying is that you can tap into it when God reveals it to you. Right. So what is wisdom but being able to understand when God is trying to point something out to you? To understand God's voice when he speaks. Yes. Which is, ve- which is much easier said than done, right? Yeah. That's what wisdom is. God will direct us. God will pr- move us. He will, he will instruct our hearts, but we actually have to be trained in the virtue of hearing him right. and obeying him. That's what wisdom is. And who can know the unknowable except that him or her to whom God has revealed himself is the idea. Right. Okay. So all that being said, and sometimes it's not common logic. It's not logical what he asks you to do, but it's good. I just keep thinking of Aslan in, in the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. Remember Yeah. when the kids are talking to the beaver, Mr. And Mrs. Beaver and they're like, Oh, it's a lion. He sounds scary. And it's like, is he, is he safe? And he says, no, he's not safe, but he's good. Right. Right. That's wisdom. And of course, the fathers of the church had a field day with this. So like wisdom is Jesus. Everything that the wisdom literature talked about in because what the wisdom literature loves to do is personify wisdom and they make it a person. Usually in the in the she, 
tense. But then the father said, no, look, it's actually Jesus embodies all of this. It's, it's pre- foreshadowing Jesus himself. Anyway, it's a lot of stuff. It's, Does that make sense? It's I, getting, it's, it's, see, I, we're spending too much time on the first reading. No, no, no. We're, but this is good. But that's, but that's because we're trying to, we're grasping it, trying to even speak of wisdom, which is the, the precise question and issue at hand. Yeah, that's true. I guess we are embodying the reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, and, but yet, that's where we transition. Yeah. R- regardless of, of our ability, we take refuge in that. Like this, the, well, We have to, because there's no other way to get to truth. Exactly. And I think that that's part of the, the role of, of and artists. And that's the psalm, what, what Father Peter yeah, is referring yeah. to. Part of the role of artists is tapping into that. Part of scripture. It's like, that's why we, we hang out and we, we attune our ear to wise things. That's why we contemplate parables. That's why we're, we're like, we're like deepening ourselves is like, we want to say, where can I take refuge? Where is the refuge that I can take? And it's like, and that's yeah. why that personification of wisdom yeah. is we say, ah, oh, it is, it, oh, we're standing on our tippy toes trying to get there. Yes. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. Um, yeah. So in every age, Lord, you have been our refuge. Why? Because there's nowhere else we can turn for truth. Yeah. Uh, you turn man back to dust, saying, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight is as yesterday, now that it is past as a watch of the night. The worries that we have, the concerns, the things that freak us out and stress us out are as but a second in the mind of God. Right. They'll be over. There's, there, the, and, and again, I keep, it's hard for me to navigate through this without thinking of Philemon explicitly. Right. Because again, it's such a practical application. Philemon has a problem that probably to Philemon seems totally insurmountable. Okay. And if he makes this choice, it will destroy his whole world. But God knows what's going to come at the end of that decision. If he makes this decision, everything about the world will be different. Mm. But it seems like this insurmountable thing. I have to, I can't believe I can't, I can never do this. No, just do it and trust me. It's going to be over in an instant. And then what I have waiting for you at the other end of it, does that make sense? Yes. And we, we do that, you know, how can we discern what to do in our jobs or our lives or our social lives, relationships, politics, like what do I do? Right. Well, we have to act and we move forward and God's still going to be waiting at the other side because we have this mindset where if I make the wrong choice, I'm get, everything's going to be destroyed. My whole life will be over. I'll destroy the world. And God's like, no, sometimes do the opposite of what logic suggests. If that's what I'm leading you to and you will see the end that I have in mind. Again, it's hard for me to talk about this without Philemon, which is where we come now, right? Oh, Philemon. Okay, here's what we need to know about Philemon. Okay. We've talked about Philemon before, haven't we? Dude, you I know mean, three years ago. You know what I'm Four really you know what I'm really sad about? Um we don't have flaming hot chimos with limon in it. <laughs> it's <laughs> Yeah. Today of all days. Philemon. 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 I haven't heard it until just now. I uh, just heard it. Okay. I thought you were stretching it. I should have. I should have paid attention. Paid more attention. <laughs> Wisdom, be attentive. Wisdom, uh, be attentive. I'm reading my computer like an old man screen. It's like an old man version because my eyes are giving out. I did. I already did that. I did it. You're doing it even more. <laughs> I can't see, Father Peter. Dude, I'm old. Man, you man, I I'm sitting here and I'm just looking at the wrinkles growing before my eyes. You're kind of like a Benjamin Button or something. I don't think you're catching my reference. Look at the first line of the reading. Paul, an old man. Oh, I, an old man. I mean, it's true. It's I'm, oh, dude, how okay. did I miss that? What kind of dude? I'm a you're space not being cadet. Attentive. 
Oh man, look it's at that, dude! Whatever. That was like a that was like a back and forth. That was beautiful. Look at us. <laughs> look at us. <laughs> we are amazing. We are amazingly missing each other. Okay, here's what you need to know about Philemon. Okay, talk to me. One of the greatest stories I think in the Bible. It's what? just I just love it, dude. Okay, you know part of why I love it. Tell me the if story. you just read it. You're like, this has no earthly reason for being in the canon of scripture for all times and all people. <laughs> it's some kind of seemingly weird story about these two random people that have nothing to do with anybody else. And you know, it's just Paul's oh. instruction to these two people. Onesimus. And you're like, how on earth did this make it into the canon? I mean, there were probably thousands, hundreds of these letters like this. Tell, tell me the story. Okay, here's the story. story. Sorry, sorry. Okay. So you got... There's a man named Philemon. Story time. Okay. Story time. There's Philemon. Who's Philemon? Philemon is a house church leader. He's a wealthy man in the city of Colossae. So the book of Philemon is attached to the book of Colossians. Okay. So Philemon is a leader in the church of Colossae. Okay. Okay. What does that mean? He's a house church leader. Remember what a house church leader? So in the early days of the church, they didn't have church buildings or cathedrals or anything. And so how did they decide where they were going to meet to worship together? I don't know. Well, what's the logical way to decide where they're going to meet? Come to my house? But whose house? The priest's house. Mm-mm. The deacon's house. Mm-mm. The synagogue leader's house. Mm-mm. The I don't know. Who had the biggest house? Oh, the biggest house? It was as simple as that. Oh. Where can we all fit? We have to go worship. We're going to have the liturgy. Where do we meet? Well, oh. Who has the biggest house? Who can fit? Who, who can fit the peeps? Who can fit the people? It's as simple as that. So they're like, oh, Philemon, you have a big house. We're going to meet at your house. Oh, All sweet. of a sudden, Philemon is now a house church leader. But what does that tell us about Philemon? Rich. He's probably wealthy, right? Because he has a house big enough to house everybody. So that's what we know about him. He's probably, you know, I mean, you would hope that the person who is hosting the church also has good character and is a man of good standing and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We also know, by the way, there's female house church leaders in the New Testament, which are not female priests or anything like that. It's just people who are hosting the church. Okay, so Philemon's a house church leader, right. wealthy guy in, in Colossae. Are you checking your watch or are you checking your email? They're texting consistently. Okay, I just, I'm feeling long-winded. Okay, uh, house church leader. So Philemon has a problem. There is a slave that Philemon owned. Christians probably shouldn't own slaves, but we'll get to that soon. He owns a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus, the name Onesimus literally means useful. So it's, there's a play on words. That's the line that's lifted out of the scriptures, which is Paul's pun, Oh, which is a bummer. Anyway, Onesimus means useful. And so the line that's lifted out of here says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is very useful. Like, oh, Paul, I see what you did there. Uh, thanks, Paul. <laughs> so Onesimus, um, what happened to Onesimus? Onesimus, oh, by the way, backstory. Paul apparently baptized Philemon. Paul preached the gospel, baptized Philemon, which makes Paul sort of a spiritual father to Philemon. Okay. He's a big deal. Now, uh, Philemon had, had this slave named Onesimus. Onesimus has apparently, we kind of have to put the puzzle pieces together. Onesimus has probably stolen something from Philemon and run away. He's an escaped fugitive thief slave, right? From this wealthy guy. That's really low. It's a tough break. In the Roman world, they had this legal system in which the punishment fits the crime. So okay. if you stole something, the punishment was you get your hands cut off, right? Okay. If you run away, you could cut their legs off. Like there's this literal like pretty eye for an eye legal system. So this guy has, you know, if he catches Onesimus, he's in big trouble, right? So here's the catch. Onesimus has run away from his owner, Philemon. He has somehow gotten into other legal trouble and has landed in prison. While he's in prison, guess who he meets? Paul. Paul, who's usually in prison for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so Onesimus and Paul meet each other. Uh-huh. 
Paul preaches the gospel to Onesimus. Onesimus becomes a believer, is baptized by Paul, changes his life, has this beautiful conversion. And somewhere along the line, they get to talking to each other. And Paul realizes, wait a second, you are the runaway slave of this other guy I baptized, my other spiritual son, Philemon, which means that my spiritual sons have a big conflict between them, Mm. right? And I have this very important, fairly powerful spiritual son who might want to kill or maim my other spiritual son, and I can't let that happen. Right. So Paul drafts this very heavy but very brief letter that is probably, we're not totally sure, it's probably carried by the hand of Onesimus back to the church in Colossae. Oh my goodness, so bold. And what, what's happening is that we know that these letters, it's written to Philemon personally, mm-hmm. but it was probably meant to be read to the whole congregation. He says that. Paul says to Philemon and the whole congregation that's meeting in your house. So Paul wants everybody to hear exactly what he's going to say to Philemon, like carried by the hand of Onesimus. So there's Onesimus. He hands him this letter. They read it at Mass on Sunday. And he basically says, look. This, he tells the story. He's like, this man has become my spiritual son. I would love, he's like, we were actually doing really good ministry together. Onesimus and I, we have a great partnership and we're spreading the gospel and he's fantastic and I love this guy. But I realized that he has some problems with you. So I thought it'd be appropriate to send him back to you, Philemon, trusting that you were going to make the right decision about what to do with him. Oh my god! In the sight of the rest of the church. So Paul, he's so subtle and he leans his entire weight on his authority on this letter handed by Onesimus. And he basically says, look, if he has wronged you in any way, there's this great line. He says, if he has wronged you or if he has stolen something from you, basically charge it to me. Put it on my tab. Because, by the way, it's only because of me that you have eternal life, Philemon. (laughs) Not to mention the fact that I can take, you know, the 20 bucks that he stole from you or whatever it is. But don't forget, I did give you spiritual and internal life. So, you know, you make the right decision. Whatever you want to do, I defer to you to make the right call. Wow. It's really beautiful. And I encourage everybody to go back. And to, well, how, does it, how does it finish? Well, that's what I want to get to in a second. But let's just, so he says, I, Paul, an old man, I'm a prisoner for Jesus Christ. I urge you on behalf of my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. I'm sending him, that is, sending my own heart back to you. So he says, if you kill him or maim him, you're killing or maiming me. I'm sending myself back to you. And that's how closely I'm associated. I should have liked to retain him for myself so that he might serve me on your behalf in my imprisonment. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, Philemon. Well, because so, well, part of it is, too, is there's some claim. I mean, he does have some claim. Big time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but listen to this. So the good that you might do may not be forced, but voluntary. And perhaps this is why he was away from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a brother. Brother, whoa. Beloved especially to me, but even more so to you as a man and in the Lord. So if you regard me as a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Whoa. Now there's two things going on here. Number one, Philemon has to make this choice because he's, you know, you got the fledgling Christian community and obviously they're hearing what Paul is saying and he's going to have to, account for himself to them. But he, you also have the fact that he, uh, like, he knows exactly, like, he's responsible to this, he knows the community because the church is meeting in the house. Yep. He's known as a slave and, and like, he has to face his own stuff and come back before the community, hand this on, in danger of Philemon, 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 Filipino, I mean, like, <laughs> yes. like, making the wrong decision. Yes. 
But then you have Philemon, who, yes, has to make the right decision, but also, I mean, he's wealthy because he's probably significant in the Roman Empire, and he's made his money in business, and I mean, how is the rest of the world going to look at this guy who, you know, clout is a big thing? You had a runaway slave. He's cheated you. He swindled you. He ran away from you, and you're just going to let him come. I mean, that, it societally, he would look like an absolute fool to do what Paul is asking him to right. do. Can you actually swallow your own pride that much? to take this guy back. Is that really going to happen? And Paul is is leaning all of his weight. Onesimus probably shaking in his boots. He's like, here's a letter I've got. I mean, and, and Paul then, what is Paul doing? Paul is acting on behalf of the sinner. He takes on the identity of the sinner and puts himself in between the sinner and the, the person who needs reconciliation. He is acting as Christ, putting himself between two broken parties, taking on the identity of the sinner in order to bring reconciliation. Wow. It's profound. And what's beautiful about this is that we don't see the answer in here. The letter closes, it ends, and you have no idea what happened until you read the book of Colossians, which is great. If you read the book of Colossians, okay. you know what the, so remember, Philip, um, Philemon is a house church leader in Colossae. Colossians is written a number of years later after Philemon. And you know, at the end of Paul's letters, he usually gives the hello, goodbye, like say hello to so-and-so and hello to so-and-so and, you know, give my greetings to your mom and whatever. Yeah. At the end of Colossians, and without any explanation, it says um, something, actually, I want to read it. It's, it's, it's cool enough that we actually have to read. Okay, so here's the end of, of Colossians. It says this. So Paul, at the end, he said, Tychicus, this guy who's with Paul, he's going to tell you about my affairs. I have sent him, this is verse 8, I have sent him with, I have sent him to you, to the church in Colossae, for this very purpose, that he may know how, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him is Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is now one of yourselves. Wow. So you never get the answer in Philemon. Yeah. But if you read it with Colossians, you're like, oh, wow. So that means Onesimus went back to Paul, is now ministering to him, and he is now the liaison between Paul and this church in in uh, Colossae. He's like, he is your brother. You know the end of the story. You know the decision that Philemon made. And just to add another piece to this, and we don't know this for sure, but in records, there was reported to be a bishop in the early church in the first century in this region named, guess what? Onesimus? Onesimus. No way. Could it be that the early church saw this as important enough that this former runaway slave who legally deserved death actually became a bishop of the same church. Dude, this would be a great movie. Wouldn't it? It would be a really, really, to talk about it, like the dial, you could go through the yeah. dialogue and like the setting and it would actually be simple enough that you wouldn't have to make it this gigantic epic tale. You could have some small towns, but you could awesome. say, get, get the right actors and the right, like you could turn this into a screenplay super easily. It's pretty cool. That would it's, be amazing. I love Philemon. Isn't yeah. it great? Because, and then you have to think, again, this, this, this seemingly insignificant letter about some seemingly insignificant people. Right. And why did their story make it into the canon of scripture for all times? Because this story embodies wisdom. Mm. It embodies Jesus incarnate as wisdom. Mm. And it embodies wisdom sometimes flying in the face of human logic. <sighs> Will Philemon do the unthinkable? Will he make this decision led by the providence and the wisdom of God to do what is wise, but does not seem wise in the eyes of the world. Hmm. And that's where we get to the gospel, I think. So here at the, at the tail end of Luke, again, we're still en route to Jerusalem. So everything Jesus says is heating up and getting more and more intense the closer he gets to Jerusalem and to Calvary. 
He said, it says, uh, great crowds were traveling with Jesus and he turned and he dressed them. And he said, if anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, which taken on its own is one of those things you're like, that's pretty intense, Jesus. And obviously Jesus is using hyperbole. He doesn't want us to hate mom and dad, but he's like in comparison, are you, what are you willing to risk? Are you willing to risk your relationships? for the sake of what I might call you to, for the sake of taking up your cross. is Philemon, Again, put it in the context of Philemon. His mom and dad, his brothers and sisters, his co-workers, his peers, they're going to think he's a fool. They're going to reject him. They're going to cast him out. Are you willing to relegate those relationships to the side to, in a certain sense, hate father, mother, co-workers, siblings, everything else, for the sake of doing what God is calling you to do? Philemon chooses this, exactly what Jesus proposes here. I mean, it's like the anti-codependence. It's like... It is. It's it's saying, like, I am no longer willing to live for the opinions and the thoughts of others, but I'm willing to live for what's right. I'm actually going to risk. I'm going to have faith. I think faith and risk, I mean, talk about... They are. And And that's what Jesus is trying to say. And we take it... We we put it in this sort of abstraction. You're like, father and mother hating... What does that mean? But it's not an abstraction. It is as nitty gritty as it gets. And it's really hard to do. Yes. It's like, it's like, this is what it means to be on the cross. It's like, because it's precisely Jesus is saying, what I did is I took father and mother. I took the motherland and the, and, and, the, yeah. and my people. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do what's right, even if it's not perceived rightly. Yes. Knowing that the cross brings true life and yes. that it is, is actually, it's, it's a, this is the revolution. And there's something about what Jesus is doing that, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the follow through, you know, I mean, he's, he's, Jesus has set this path. Yeah. And so to turn back on Calvary, mm. you'd be like, oh my gosh. I mean, so anyway, what, I, what I'm getting at is this next line in the gospel. It says, which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there's enough for its completion. Otherwise, after laying the foundation, finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers would laugh at him and say, this one began, but he didn't have the resources to finish. Right. Finally, I keep thinking about Philemon. There's Philemon. He's the house church leader. He's a man of character who hosts the church. And people see a letter from his spiritual father, Paul, carried by a humbled Onesimus, saying, what are you going to do? Are you going to take seriously the call of Jesus Christ? Mm. Are you going to take up the cross that is standing right in front of you, holding a letter in front of you? Are you going to take up that cross? And if not, you have no right being house church leader. You have no right standing there. You have constructed a tower that you cannot build. Mm. Are you going to put your money where your mouth is, mm. Philemon? Because you have set yourself up. That's, in a certain sense, I think, what this is what this is getting at. Yes. So to not do that, to be like, no, I'm going to let my societal interests and my or my, my need for vengeance or my need for punishment or wrath or whatever it is that's feeding into that, I'm going to let that trump the call of Jesus Christ. Mm. I don't care about taking up my cross. I want to do what I feel like I need to do. Right. Then you haven't constructed the tower. You don't have the resources for the tower that you have claimed to build. Wow. So we all stand in this place. Are you willing to finish the tower? Right. Do you have it within you? Because at the end of the day, Again, I, I keep using this tower analogy. We're never going to finish our own tower. Right. Philemon can't, this is the point. Philemon can't do this on his own. He lives in a society that this just, it's just not possible. He has the grace of Jesus Christ. He is led by the wisdom, the chokmah of wisdom 
that has allowed him to do what would be considered in that society unthinkable to stand before his peers and say, I have done, I have risked everything. I probably lost all my business partners. Maybe he lost his money. Maybe he lost his connections. He lost credibility. He lost friendships. Who knows what he lost? But he said, it's okay because I actually have the grace to do that. Mm. I am willing to have that hatred of father and mother and sibling and brother and coworker and everything else because there's grace behind it. We can't do it on our own. Mm. Maybe we could do some things on our own, but at the end of the day, we will never be able to complete that tower without the grace And if you haven't been practiced in the virtue of wisdom, you're never going to know what to ask for to finish the tower. Mm. So you get the impression that Philemon has set himself up for success. Does that make sense? Yes. It's so funny, too. And this is a bit of a side note. You know, people point to the letter of Philemon to talk about how, well, look, the Bible condones slavery and, you know, all sorts of things. And it's actually fascinating because Paul in Paul's great wisdom, doesn't just come out and say, Philemon owned a slave. That was really bad. Slavery is lousy. You shouldn't do that. He doesn't just come out and say slavery is bad. He actually takes it so much further. Yeah. Says, hey, this guy that you consider a slave, he's actually your brother. Change the way that you look at the world. I'm not going to give you a legal mandate that says slavery is bad. Stop doing it. I want you to change the way you look at all the human beings around you, especially the slave. And that's a much better strategy to change the legal system of the world, to change the mindsets of people who are doing something that's actually not good than to say, stop doing this thing that's not good, to change the way that we look around us. I mean, I think it's something the pro-life movement can, can take and carry with us. Are you willing to not just worry about legislation? We need to worry about legislation. But are you willing to look in the eyes of the people around you and change the way that you look at humanity, right. at human beings, at unwed mothers, at um, you know children born into bad situations, all of these things? That is what is going to change this culture back to a culture of life, mm-hmm. is once we begin seeing human beings created in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. That's what obliterated slavery in the Christian Roman Empire, was seeing people in the image and likeness of God. That's what made Onesimus a bishop, for Pete's sake, because they went as countercultural as you could possibly go which I think we can learn a lot. <sighs> Set people free, y'all. That's Set what, that's what it means. We are to, and that's what it means to be a people of forgiveness and, and the willingness to take up the cross and to not live for the opinions of others, but to live for truth out of wisdom and to grasp for it. So thank you for listening. Indeed. Grasping with us. Boom. Grasp it, baby. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.